It is so good to see the faces and hear the voices of our youngest ones. What a beautiful thank you video. Uh, This is Mother's Day. It's the day set aside to honor the way that moms have been uh, encouraging and strengthening and provided for so many. In the church, though, by water and the spirit, family is redefined, no longer by lineage and ancestry, uh, but now in Christ. And so all of us who confess Christ as Lord acknowledge ourselves as a part of one family. I got a text uh, earlier this week from one mom. Uh, Her three-year-old son, Jasper, refers to me as the baptism guy. So he said to his mom earlier this week, is the baptism guy God? And his five-year-old brother, Henry, said, no, no, he's not God, but he is a friend of God. I thought that was pretty great. Now, this is Mother's Day. So, Kristen and I are going to try for the first time in 19 years of marriage, 17 years of full-time pastoral ministry, we're going to try to preach together. Yes. (laughs) How are you feeling? I'm doing okay. I'm a little nervous, but I figure I've made it 17 years without having to do this, so that's a pretty good run. But I'm honored to do it with you. (laughs) I'm grateful that you would. It's not just because of Mother's Day. The passage we're going to gather our hearts around this morning from the Sermon on the Mount has meant a lot to both of us, particularly uh, to Kristen in some unique seasons of her life. We'll share part of that story uh, in just a minute. Uh, We thought you might like also to see a picture of our kids The first one is the one we want you to think we are. The second one is the one we actually are. Uh, This is the fifth Sunday in the season of Eastertide, that that season of the year. We're so eager to shout with the church across the globe, he's risen, he's risen indeed. We love to say with the Apostle Paul, death has been swallowed up in victory. We're, We're eager to shout with the poet John Donne, death, thou shalt die. It's the fifth Sunday in the season of Eastertide. It's also week eight. Is this the 56th day of coronavirus, quarantine, lockdown? We're asked to hold them both. We're asked to hold them at the same time. Uh, Earlier this week, uh, one from the Pillar community uh, died of coronavirus. It's the first in our community. Our dear brother Dick Wissiger, he and his wife Janet, Janet uh, you might remember them walking down the center aisle slowly because of some health complications for Janet. Uh, they would walk slowly and he would hold her arm. Uh, his trademark sign was the thumbs up. Uh, Janet is still fighting uh, COVID herself. Their parents to Diana Bast, uh, husband of Dave Bast, uh, who have a set of health concerns uh, of their own. Dave is begun a clinical treatment for the cancer that he's been fighting. That's a lot. They're holding a lot, and we're going to do our best to hold it with them. We're going to hold with them the great promise of the resurrection and also the consequences of this season, this situation. I'm calling it resurrection in crisis, listening to Jesus. In this season, there's so many external voices sounding alarms, making suggestions, offering models, and there's so many internal voices of concern and worry and 
loss and heartache, amidst all the voices, I want one to sound loudest. I want one to sound clearest, the voice of the risen one himself. We've been gathering around the words of the Sermon on the Mount today. It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, where Jesus says, uh, do not worry. Sometimes I wonder, are, 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 is that a callous word? Stop worrying. Is it a tender word? Don't worry. I've got you. I love you. I'll hold you. I hear the words and I, I think about the 20% of Americans who have been diagnosed with some version of an anxiety disorder and the so many more who go undiagnosed. Don't worry. I'm thinking about the friend who lost his job. How does he hear these words today? Don't worry. I'm thinking about the family on lockdown for whom it's actually not stay safe, stay home. How do they hear don't worry? I've asked my friend Russ Blondin if he would offer the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Listen to this. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Way to go, Russ. Thank you for that. That's part of the Resurrection in Crisis Listening to Jesus project I've invited you into where you'll memorize a section, a verse, a sentence of the Sermon on the Mount, record yourself reciting it, send it my way, and we're going to stitch the whole thing together into one long video pillar offering itself the Sermon on the Mount. I can't wait until it's done. Let me just try to contextualize the words, don't worry. Too often, I think, we sort of uh, take the Sermon on the Mount specifically, but really the whole of the New Testament, outside of its historical context, and we call it Bible times, sort of ahistorical. These words of Jesus were offered in like 30 A.D., under Roman rule called Pax Romana, which meant the peace of Rome was anything but peace for most people. Jesus himself 
the eternal one, entered into the finite realities of humankind. He himself went the way of suffering and death and the cross before resurrection. And those he offers the Sermon on the Mount to, they knew their fair share of pain. The, the median life expectancy in the first century Roman Empire was like 35 years old. The inequities of the social system were overwhelming. And in the midst of those circumstances, Jesus says, don't worry. Maybe helps frame it just a little bit. It's not Bible times. Jesus sitting in some meadow with birds chirping and kids frolicking among the flowers. It's, it's a time of distress. It's a time of worry. It's a time of anxiety. And Jesus says, don't worry. Kristen, when you hear those words from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, where, where does your heart go? Where do you connect? Yeah. Well, I've been listening to you preach the Sermon on the Mount for many years now, and the first line of that passage hits me every time. It says, do not worry about your life. And to be honest, worry and anxiety is very familiar to me in my life. So I hear these words as both a conviction and a comfort. I'm convicted by the way it is heard as a loving command and not just a passing suggestion. It's Jesus calling me into a deep daily dependence on him. He knows that I'm prone to worry, and he knows my life. Otherwise, he wouldn't choose to address it. But I'm also comforted that he knows the pains and the pressures and the circumstances of daily life that can steal my joy and consume my mind and distract me from the reality of his control over all things. So I feel his care and his compassion for his children, for me, for you. And he's always wanting to draw us out of a place of worry back into his peaceful presence. Coronavirus, sickness, finances, unemployment, the economy, politics, social distancing, or parenting, marriage, singleness, cancer, college future, depression, loneliness. I could go on and on with words that might stir up your anxiety or make your stomach churn. But whatever causes you to worry, Jesus reminds us that he sees you. He knows that you need what you need, and he loves you and cares for you. And simply by saying the word worry, he acknowledges that he sees you, he knows you, and he cares. That's a good word. Thank you. Why am I crying? I love it. Do not worry about your life. I, I liked your line. It's not a passing judgment, but a gentle invitation into dependence. Hasn't that always been true, actually? Dependence on God for our very life, our very breath. For a while, we've been cruising along on the bubble of life as if we have some sort of control. Everything's fine. I've got myself. And then about eight weeks ago, dependence became so obvious, so real. Here's where my heart connected uh, Jesus saying, Seek first the kingdom 
and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Seek first. Which I guess is to say there's other things to seek. But seek first the kingdom. Orient yourself first towards the living God. Orient your heart primarily towards the living God. Of all of the things you might seek after in life, seek first, my friend, Professor, therapist, author, Chuck DeGroat, uh, he and I had a Zoom conversation earlier this week titled, uh, we recorded it, we called it Self-Care in an Age of Worry. We're going to show the Zoom call after this service, so stay tuned through the end. Uh, In our conversation, he offers some basic practices in an age of worry. One of them, he says, basically, the first thing in the morning, first thing, put your feet on the ground. Take a deep breath And ask yourself the very question God asked the first human in the garden, where are you? Where are you? Sad? Anxious? Worried? Hopeful? Excited? Tired? Where are you? And the same one who asks the question is also the one infinitely available to you, saying to you also, here I am. I think that might be Chuck's way of saying, seek First, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Seek, it's, it's like pursue, go after, uncover, get to the bottom of exhausts. Get to the bottom of the kingdom only to realize there is no bottom to the kingdom. Exhaust the realities of his righteousness only to realize they're inexhaustible. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. The kingdom where love rules and the flame of hope never goes out, the kingdom, where reconciliation is the way and peace is the priority, the kingdom, where the poor and the rich eat at the same table, the kingdom, where the lion and the lamb lie down together, the kingdom, where the naked are clothed and the sick are visited, the strangers are welcomed and the incarcerated have a friend, that's the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. I like the way C.S. Lewis puts it, uh, those great words from the book Mere Christianity. Look for yourself, and you'll find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you'll find him, and with him, everything else thrown in. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Righteousness, we use the word as if it means like some sort of personal piety, kind of a are you a good enough Christian sort of way? Not, not the way Jesus used the word. Righteousness, the way the New Testament authors primarily used it and Jesus is using it in this case, has to do with justice, fairness, equity. Seek first justice. Seek first fairness. Seek first equity. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. So don't worry. In a, in a season of worry, the tendency is self-preservation. Batten down the hatches, circle the wagon, make sure you're taken care of. And Jesus says, I get it, I hear you, I know, but hold on a minute. Seek first the common good. Seek first your neighbor. Seek first those in need. That's his righteousness. 
So Walter, in, in the pandemic, when unemployment rates are at their highest, Walter finds a home because you cared and Community Action House went to work and Lakeshore Housing Alliance did their thing. Seek first justice. So earlier this week, there's 200 masks hanging on clotheslines outside of Pillar's building. That's his righteousness. I'm getting worked up. Kristen, you better get us to the finish line. Okay, well, here's a little bit more of my story, my journey. Ever since I was a little girl, I've been a peacemaker. I've prided myself in caring deeply about other people and their feelings, and it's been my goal to get along with all people all the time. I've tried to avoid conflict at all costs, and I've tried to keep life in control by pleasing others and striving to please the Lord. However, as is the case, it's impossible to try to please everybody and keep a track record like this going and not become stressed, consumed, disappointed, and filled with anxiety over my own failures and mistakes and brokenness. And then you add the relational expectations that I put on myself in being a wife, a mother, a pastor's wife, daughter, friend, in any other personal connection in my life. And you have the perfect setup for operating out of a constant state of worry. Now, much of the worry I could manage internally and not let others see or experience. But over time, the people closest to me would see more vulnerably how this worry spills out into my daily life. On my worst days, I'd be distracted, uptight, overwhelmed, withdrawn, on edge, maybe sad, grumpy, angry, pits in my stomach. Not exactly the loving wife and mother filled with the fruit of the Spirit that I long to be. So worry has had its control in my life for a long time, and it's weighed me down, and it's stolen joy from my days. And at a certain point, I realized that I wasn't really living the life of freedom, that Christ has so graciously promised to those who walk with him, whereby he can say to us confidently, do not worry about your life. I have instead chosen to live out of a place of striving, controlling, expecting, and pleasing others, which is very exhausting. And ultimately, I have not been trusting God completely to care for me and for other people in my life. But graciously, through his word, the Lord has been tenderly reminding me of his love for me, despite my inabilities to get it right all the time. And he says, do not worry about your life. He's been reminding me of the promises that are mine in Christ. Promises that remind me he is steadfast, trustworthy, gracious, sovereign, loving, and the promises go on and on and on. It is these promises in the peace of Christ in my days that help me trade my worry for peace day by day, moment by moment. And there is true freedom in that. Do not worry about your life. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.